0: Good morning. The reading this morning is from Mark 2nd, 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I claim not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thanks be to God that that's the word of the Lord. It's a good word. Good morning. I invite everyone to pray with me. Thank you, Father, uh, for being a God who's for the outcast. Help us to understand our place um, in this world, our place even right now, uh, in this moment, at this time. Help us to see, Father, that um, as much as, you know, even for me, I always think I'm in, I'm in the right or I'm on the right side or I'm doing it, this is the right way. Father, help us to, to see that we're each outcasts in need of Jesus, in need of your healing, in need of your hope, in need of your restoration, in need of your beauty, in need of your goodness, in need of your truth. Father, we ask that you would show yourself to us in both your, your glory, but also your goodness through your gospel. That is our hope. So I pray that you would open this word up to us. That we would understand, that we would believe, we would have faith in Jesus. Amen. So exactly one month ago, I preached from uh, this passage, so it it probably looks familiar. The title might look familiar to some uh, who were here a month ago, Come As You Are. Uh, And in that first sermon, I I wanted to focus on the fact that Jesus always meets us exactly where we are. That's what I really wanted to drive home. Jesus meets us where we are. This week the focus a month later today is on the second of these two truths that I wanted us to hold together. And that's that, that Jesus never, he never leaves us where we are. So he always meets us where we are, but he never leaves us where we are. And I, I, we have to hold those two things together. They're both true. And what you need to know, if you were not here, um, so I know some, some were not here for various reasons. If you were not here on that date that it was preached, Uh, I'm just going to assume that nobody heard that sermon, so what do you need to know? Uh, You need to know that no matter where you are right now, no matter what burden you're carrying, no matter how heavy it is or how long you've been carrying it, you can for sure lay it down at the feet of Jesus, and he will take it up for you. For sure. No matter where you are, Jesus is calling you to come to him as you are. That's what you need to know. But the phrase, come as you are, is the saying that captures for us um, a lot of things. It, 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 I think it, it helpfully captures this idea of both being fully known by God and yet fully loved. Right? It's, it's, it's this idea that, that you're holding those two truths together, that I'm actually exposed before, that I'm being seen for exactly who I am, and yet no one's running far away from me with what they see, because I'm actually in this circle, the safety of, of love. Um, and so last month, I brought up two artists, uh, one Christian artist, which we just uh, sang from, uh, David Crowder, uh, and the other non-Christian artist named Kurt Cobain. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, a couple people. All right, from, from Nirvana. Both songs use this phrase, come as you are. So there's Crowders. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. Wonder, come home. You're not too far. Come as you are. And then there's the second one, uh, the second the other song that I pointed out. Come as you are, as you were. I'm not singing. As I want you to be, as a friend, as an as as an known enemy. And so, but it, so in that song, Cobain, what's what's pretty interesting about it is he is trying to say that there's enough room in this world for any damaged person. It's interesting to reflect on. Uh, so both songs are essentially, you know, with, at least with this phrase, come as you are, they're saying the same thing. And in that song, uh, I already talked about that song, but Levi, our, 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 one of our characters in this story, in, in the Gospel of Mark, Levi is this damaged person. Uh, he is very damaged. By the common person's understanding, he's the biggest loser. He's a low life. Um, everybody did not like him. Nobody really wanted to be him. Except for uh, Jesus was, was the only one who was willing to be around him. And remember, Jesus saw Levi. He stops. He calls to him and says, follow me. And so that's, that's, the, that's the point in the story that I want us to pick back up and continue. Is right here where where Levi now gives up everything that he had. He had he was in a place of power working for Herod Antipas. He had lots of possessions. He had a lot of money. Especially when we can, we compare this to the the, the fishermen, you know the, the 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 more lowly fishermen who who gave up everything they had. Well, we don't know, but they probably didn't have a thriving fisherman business going. You know, it was probably a lot easier for them to lay down that to follow Jesus. This guy Levi is really giving up worldly goods. I mean, he's giving up a place of power. He's giving up everything to follow Jesus. So let's, let's look at what happens next. We're, we're, we're holding together this idea Jesus never leaves us where we are. So let's look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So I want to ask a question. Whose house is this? Whose house is it? Any other answers? Phone a friend. What's that? I got Jesus. What else? Levi's. Levi's. So there's team Levi and then there's team Jesus going, right? So... um, I wish I could tell you that studying Greek and studying what scholars say on this solves the riddle. <laughs> it doesn't. It has not. Uh, the pronouns in Greek are just as ambiguous as the English is reading. Like, so, so we're going, is it Levi's house, or is this Jesus's house? Which is it? And I kid you not, I read a 700 page co- commentary um, looking at this and going, OK, what are we doing? Uh, i didn 't read all seven hundred pages on this, just so you know, so i mean um, i mean i 'm sure somebody out there, like a kitchen or something has written something along those lines but um, one really uh, smart dude uh, was talking about this and uh and and he he seems to say that it's it 's levi 's house um, there 's some mixed opinions, others say it 's jesus 's house, just like we just did uh, team jesus team levi so um one of the things in that commentary, though, is that it kind of gets all dogmatic on this. And so the, the scholar confidently claims, Mark nowhere else refers to the house in Capernaum. That's what he says. And so I'm going, I'm flipping back to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, whose house was that? It was reported that Jesus was what? At his home. <laughs> right? So we're going, hmm. So boom, I'm right, he's wrong. Um... No. Um, come on, I gotta have some support. This is this is our church. Like, come on, I'm Team Jesus. Yeah, always Team Jesus. <laughs> always, always side with Jesus. Um, but I think the the point is is it's supposed to be ambiguous. I think that's actually the, the point because either way we spin it, it looks pretty ugly. Uh, in terms of Jesus' PR at this point in the Gospel of Mark, is pretty bad. Uh, we, we think about it. Because he's, he's either seen, seen having food with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors sneaking into their massively fun party, right, as a special, special guest. So he's seated right there at, at, on, the, on the front, and he's, he's part of this event that's, that's being thrown. Or he's actually the host himself of this really great party. So either way you spin it, it's an interesting thing, is it not? I think it's fascinating. Um, either way, it's not good for his public image. Either way, what Jesus does here is, at least to a, a, a pretty um, prestigious group of people, it's inexcusable and it is socially unacceptable. It's both of those things. I'm convinced, though, it's the it's second way. But that's just my, my opinion. Um, also, because Mark chooses to use this phrase... As he reclined at table, I want to focus on that for a minute. So this cust- this is a way this is a a way to note this custom that at this time in this manner uh, the, the, how people ate, uh, not like how we eat. Uh, maybe at a table with chairs, you know, four chairs, six chairs, eight chairs, ten chairs. Maybe you have a bench at home. Whatever, however, the the setup is we're we're kind of seated in this you know crouched position that is. Uh, sitting is the new smoking, am I right? Are there any doctors there want to verify that? Anybody? Sitting is the new smoking. It's this awkward position that really hurts. And after a while, it really starts to give some back pain. And we're going, ouch, this, really, this is really terrible. This really hurts my back. And then now I'm driving in an automobile now for another 20 minutes. And after I got off work, I'm still oh, my crouched. I'm still hurting. You know, that, that seated position, can I get an amen? Anybody feel that sometimes? Right now you're sitting. Yeah, you can stand up if you really want to. It's OK. Um, Yeah, so so they actually, they ate the right way. (laughs) They ate reclined at table, you know, seated along kind of in this more relaxed position. There was no eating hot soup while driving a car. I kid you not, I see people doing that in San Diego County. Drives me crazy, right? You do it? Oh, (laughs) tax collector. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, That's, that's what it is. So, so, so to focus in on this, yes, it's noting custom. He reclined at table. That's true. And they, they didn't eat in a hurried way. They were more relaxed. That's a great way to eat, by the way. But, but it's also hinting at something else. As he reclined at table, Mark is signaling something. He is, he is, whatever, virtue signaling, or whatever you want to say this. He is signaling this. He intends for us to see that this kind of fun party is the kind of fun party that's going to happen in the future. It's what heaven is going to be like. This kind of party is what that great banquet, that last supper, that big feast, that next big thing that God is doing, that he is consummating, that he is bringing to final fulfillment on the world stage of history of what's going to happen... That it's going to be a fun party. And the people who are here at this meal that Jesus is having or Jesus is attending is the kind of party that's going to be happening in heaven. We have to see that. It's right there. And I think what's amazing about that is that we don't get to pick and choose who's in and who's out. God alone does, right? God chooses our church family. God chooses the one in the pew who's sitting next to me or one in the chair sitting next to me. And this meal is going to be a lot of fun. So let's keep reading to find out why. Verse 16, follow along with me. It says, and the scribes of the Pharisees. I'm going to say that again. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, I'm going to say this kind of snarky, because that's, this is just how I think that they would be talking. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? Right, look at that snark in there. Why does he? Why is he doing that? Um, who are the characters in the story? So, who's the first character in the story? You can't have the wrong answer with this one. Yeah, Jesus is always the answer, right? Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Say Jesus. First, first main character. Uh, second, second main character. Who else have we been talking a lot about? Levi. Okay, Levi, son of Alphaeus. Uh, the third main characters. Uh, any other group? Yes. Yeah. Well, let's go. Who are Levi's friends? Tax collectors and sinners. So that's a third group of people. Fourth group of people. Go ahead and follow up with what you just said. Disciples and it says followers of Jesus. So, you know, another pretty 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 larger uh, crowd. And then finally, we've reached the last group of characters who's that not the Pharisees the scribes of the Pharisees so there's a there is the Pharisees and then there's the scribes of the Pharisees and the scribes of the Pharisees man they are I, I would ne- uh, They they sound like the worst okay I'm just gonna say it they sound like the worst group of people because these are the, these are the people who they were literally they were lawyers sorry sorry to any lawyers in our room I have a family of lawyers, just so you know. So um, I'm offending all of my family right now, <clears throat> but, which is fine. I do it all the time. Um, they still love me. Uh, they were lawyers for the Pharisees. And their job was to check and see if people were following the rules correctly. That was their job, to make sure that you're following every detail, every jot and tittle of the law of Moses. Are you following everything correctly? And I think that they are actually, like. The, how do we relate to this today? I think that they are like the annoying people who comment on YouTube channels all day long and just start saying, like, this is the, or, or Amazon, you know, the, the commentators who have, like, zero stars, and then they just blast things. They're like, this is the worst book I've ever read. Why would I ever read this book? You wasted your entire life on this book. Or... Um, this is the, the worst tea kettle you could possibly imagine. Why would you ever make tea with this thing, right? Typing that up. That's like, that's like who they are. That's, they're just, that's just like kind of conniving, annoying group. So it's this group of people. They're a group of experts and legal scholars, a group uh, that knows God's law better than anybody else, and they, they, sh- they tell everybody about it, that they know God's law better than everybody else. Uh, and so when they see this activity of Jesus and this new convert named Levi they flip out. They lose their lids, okay? Of course, when experts and legal professionals, when they flip out, it's not that noticeable. Right? Um, they're all covert about it. And so they go to, not Jesus, that would be way too direct, man. <laughs> the right, you know, so, so they go, they, they go kind of silently and quietly, go around him, behind Jesus' back, and they go to his disciples and they ask them, Instead of him, verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I want to pause on that, and, and you can take a moment to reflect uh, if you're taking notes on, uh, in a notebook or uh, on something in your Bibles, if you have any white space. Um, who? When you throw a party or when you go to a party, who's invited or who's there? ask that question. I want you to take that question home and reflect on that. When, you, when, you, when you're hanging out with a group of people, is it always people that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with, that you like being around? Or do you ever let yourself be around people who don't act like, look like, or who are not thinking like you are thinking? Um, that's, a, that's a question I want, I want everyone to just sit on that one. Community groups, discuss it. It's a great question to ask. Are the people you eat and drink with only those you really like? Who do you invite over for dinner when you can? Who do you go to when you can? So eating food together is a personal activity. It's sharing in something together. Sharing uh, culture, sharing tastes, sharing likes and loves with, with some other person or some other group of people. And it's also social, so, so when you share food with someone, you're sharing a kind of, of bond of friendship, bond of, even, you might want to almost go so far to say a familial bond. But it's some kind of connection there that, that happens in, in the moment of, of eating together. It symbolizes friendship. You're saying with food more than what you can say with words alone, right? So you're saying with, with, with food... Hey, friend, I think that you're a person worth being around. I think that that I like you a little bit. I like you kind of a lot, actually, enough to make you a meal. And I think that's a problem for religious people, and here's why. Religious people like this group, the scribes and the Pharisees, they have rules to keep, and they have reputations that they, they must uphold. That's, that's, that's really what, what's behind the standard keeping, what puts them in that profession, is that they really they want to be the ones who know everything and are doing everything right. And so people like this will not be seen with sinners and tax collectors. You can guarantee it. Peter in Galatians was um, like a scribe of the Pharisee and how he acted. In Galatians 2, you can read about that. In fact, at this time, on the social ladder... Scribes of the Pharisees, they were known as the model example of who you wanted to strive to be like. So for the common person at this time, you wanted to be a scribe of the Pharisee. And and, and the group of people that you did not want to be like, that was the group of sinners and tax collectors. You did not want to be that group. So there's this huge polarization between these two groups. And what's crazy... Is Jesus reverses this, this order? He completely flips it. The powerful, the scribes of the Pharisees, those who are on top, Jesus is saying they're now they're switched, they're now on bottom. And then, then those who are on bottom are now being lifted up, and they're in the place, they're 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 being seated at the place that is on top. That's what's happening in this story. And so all those watching the the experts and scholars they expected for Jesus to see the world as they had seen it of course because they knew the law of Moses. Well Jesus is a better Moses people <laughs> you know he's like I know the law of Moses actually I got it all memorized I've got it all here I know. Jesus has different eyes their eyes not for the proud but the humble. Jesus sees not those in power but those who lack it. He is a he is for the vulnerable. He is for the despised. He's for the rejected. He's for the outcasts, as we read in Isaiah 56 this morning. Earlier in Mark, um, pointed out the scribes only thought to challenge Jesus, right? That's where we left off in, the, in one of the earlier passages in Mark. They, they were only thinking it, and Jesus responds to that criticism. Now, they verbally say it, but indirectly, right? They say it to who? Let's see who's listening. Disciples, yeah. They say it to the disciples. They don't go directly. They don't directly challenge him. I should say, they don't directly challenge him yet because they're gonna. They're gonna challenge him. Mark wants us to notice this trend. It's getting hotter and hotter. This hostility is ramping up. Each time we're, we're encountering these groups, each time there's this disparity that just, you know, Jesus is going this way, and these, this group of the scribes of the Pharisees and the Pharisees and others who are not hopping on the Jesus bandwagon are going like that, farther and farther apart. And so how does Jesus respond to their criticism? Let's read his response, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Hmm. And so what, what Jesus is saying here is a, is a common phrase. People then would have understood what it meant. Years ago, I was 150% obsessed... With Sparta, and 300. So if you would have known me a long time ago, you would know that I. Yeah, this is Sparta. Yes, man. you got it. All right, this is Sparta. <laughs> you know, come on. A couple people laughing on that one. So, so I was I was so so obsessed with that, that with with all all things. I had the graphic novel, had a sword. Kid, you not had the actual sword that King Leonidas wielded. Had that thing. Can you imagine my boys with that sword now? Good thing that's with a friend. It's not here. So so we're, it's, it's, it's stored safely. Um, but a uh, popular blogger in the first century, a guy named Plutarch, he said when quoting a Spartan king who was like Leonidas, a Spartan king who left Sparta for a different place, even though he absolutely loved Sparta, he said this. He said, I quote, It is not the custom of doctors to spend their time with the healthy, but where people are ill. That was a a secular person. (laughs) It was not Jesus who said that, right? It was just a king, a common king. So it sounds familiar. The the Greeks used to say philosophers were like doctors. So in other words, in in picking up this imagery, Jesus is using this imagery of doctor at this time period to say in a popular way, a colloquial way, of saying that religious teachers are like doctors. That... Good, sound, biblical teaching is as healing to the body as good health care is healing. Uh, Sorry, is good. I should step back. Got ahead of myself there. Good, sound, biblical teaching is healing to the soul as good quality health care is healing to the body. So Jesus says, I keep company with sinners and tax collectors. I spend my time and I make friends with others who are not like me because like a good doctor, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for those who sin. I'm here for those who are not even looking for me right now. And yet I'm searching them out and I'm going to hound them down and I'm going to find them because that's the kind of God I am. Back to Levi's story. He's a new Christian, new believer. What are new believers usually like? Anybody want to take a stab? Enth- enthusiastic, excited, exuberant, right? There's this joy. There's like a kind of fire that burns within, right? So, so, so he's excited. I mean, he's jazzed. He's a brand new Christian. He's following Jesus. Um, wants to share his faith with others. Now, the religious folk, they would say he should spend his time doing devotions, doing religious things, and being with religious people. Right? But Jesus says, no. My entire rescue operation mission is to meet with patients who need care and surgery. I send out those who are made well by me to help the sick and find healing in me. And so, I mean, the very act of Jesus becoming truly human in his incarnation tells us that in Christ God is willing to get his hands super dirty super messy with his creation that he made to seek and save that which is lost that's the God we worship, that's the God we're calling on, that we're invoking in this service it's a God of outcasts outcasts like me Outcasts like you, outcasts like your neighbor, hopefully friends in the future that you bring, coworkers, people of God. The church is not a hotel room or a spa vacation getaway. It is as it's a common phrase now, but uh, the church is a hospital for sinners. The church is a hospital for the broken. The church is, is a hospital for the weary, for the sick. And so we need to be like doctors. We need to not be like Marie Kondo tidying up church. Okay? That's not the vision of church that, that, the, that the New Testament is, is painting for us. Because church is for the broken, it's for messy, um, sick, sinful people. And I think until we we really understand that, until we translate that into how we're living, how we're talking, how we're how we're believing, right, in practice, I think only then can this be a place and, and us be a people where we're truly encountering and we're, we're truly seeing the gospel at work. And I think we are. I see it. I see it in each of you. Um, there's so much of that. And I mean, we're, it's amazing. But my point here is, is the gospel doesn't do work on people who live and act like we're the best announcement there ever was. The good news, if we are the good news, that means we don't need the good news. Um, One man that I've looked up to for well over a decade, he put it like this, he said, I am not the gospel, and that's good news. Very good news, like we heard last week, like we heard the week before last week, like we heard three weeks ago. The same gospel being pronounced again and again and again. It's not about the person preaching, it's about the gospel. It's about the God who gives us that gospel. And it's freeing. And so Jesus is calling out to each of us. He says, come, follow me. He gave this call to Levi, or Matthew, as his name was. And, and Levi got up and followed Jesus. And from that point on, ladies and gentlemen, judges and juries, his po- his life was completely transformed and completely different. No? Yes. It was, it was, different. Yes. Was it completely different, such that Levi no longer was a sinner? No. So let's—I mean, not, not so different that he no longer had any of the same friends. Uh, let's look at the text, verse fifteen. After he got up and followed Jesus, after he was a Christian, look, Levi still keeps verse seventeen. If you could pull that up. When Jesus heard a, uh, oh, sorry, keep. Let's see, where, where? Verse sixteen? No, fifteen. Sorry, verse fifteen. Go back. Verse fifteen. As you reclined with. At table in, in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were the, for there uh, were many who followed him. Yep. So so that's that's after after he got up, after he was converted, after he was a believer. Right. He's still partying like it was 1999. Okay. He's still having a pretty good old time with all of his old friends, but the person Levi is different. The man Levi or Matthew, is different. That has changed. That has been changed by the gospel. The kind of person he is has changed. He's now one who is oriented towards Jesus and is no longer oriented towards wanting power and craving power, being uh, someone who's in cahoots with Herod Antipas, uh, no longer chasing the dream of whatever it was that he was chasing at that time. He's now one who's leading others to the good doctor, to Jesus, the one who calls us from sin to holiness, from darkness into, into light. So how can you be a light to your unbelieving friends? How can you be a light to your unbelieving friends in your own home? How can you be a light to your own unbelieving soul when you've had a hard day? And, Lord, help my unbelief. Happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you. So, look, they're they're still having a blast at this party. Verse 15. This is no, let's go do the pious thing now. Ah, shoot, we can't have any fun. We need to start acting like Christians now. I'm going to go order a bunch of Christian CDs. I'm going to dump all of my Nirvana albums. Anybody have that kind of experience? I, didn't, I actually did not do that. I had friends that did that. I remember that. You know, they like dump all your secular music out and then you keep your Christian music. You know, anybody have that kind of experience before? Okay. Um, that's a Christian subculture thing that's kind of weird. So you don't need to find a, a, a new subculture. So I'm not saying, you don't, that's, not what, that's not the message today. Uh, you need to find yourself in Jesus Christ. And he is the one who makes us more human, not less human. than we were before meeting him. We need to start acting like human beings. Christianity makes us more fully and truly human, not less. And so anything short of that is not Christianity, I think. It's not human, even. It's just weird. It's subculture. So so to close this, the call of Jesus on Levi's life is to make him a disciple, make him a follower of Jesus, who lives each day on mission. Go gather other fellow people who are following Jesus. Go gather fellow outcasts who are running to Jesus, who are giving up and sacrificing such that the kingdom of God is here, and they care for that message. The mission is to make disciples of Jesus, and that happens here this morning, for example, when the word is preached, sung, read, and heard, but it also happens in your daily life. When you're walking around, in the life that you're already called to live by God, with whatever life that looks like, each of us has a different path right now. We're on different pathways, we're at different places. Come as you are, don't stay as you are, because Jesus has work to do, not only for you, the gospel is for you. It's good news. But with you, in you, and through you, as you follow him daily wherever you go. So go, be a disciple. Be freed by the gospel. You're off the hook in Jesus. The good news is it is finished. I mean, let, like revel in that news. Lay down your burden on Jesus. Jesus takes up your burden on the cross, and He'll never leave you alone. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're calling out to us using weak means, a weak messenger, weak mediums uh, to deliver your glorious gospel, your good news. And at this place, in this time, in this moment, you're saying, follow me. Father, would you help us get up and follow wherever it leads? Would you help our unbelief right now? As we face obstacles, we face fear, we have anxiety, we have depression. We're not sure where to go. We're not sure who to talk to. We're not sure if anyone's listening, if anybody cares. Or maybe we are certain and we're so certain that it's clouded our judgment and we can't see that we're sinners. Father, take the scales off of our eyes if that's where we are right now. Let them fall off and let us see Jesus again and come back to the cross where we lay down our burdens. We're freed because Jesus is the one who bore our burdens on the cross. Jesus is the one who frees us and releases us back out into this world to make disciples of him who are weak, yes, but who are strong by faith in the Savior of sinners. Amen.